Thanks so much for joining us here on the Rivers Church Podcast. We see a church full of passionate people who reach the unchurched with the gospel of Jesus. Our heart is to equip people to love, live, and lead in God's kingdom. We hope you enjoyed today's message and pray that it encourages you to be all that God has destined you to be. If you need anything, please feel free to reach out to us and check us out on our website at riverschurch.co. That's riverschurch.co. Coming back to a, a series that we started, and I didn't anticipate to come back to it, but as we as it came to a close, I, I felt strongly that there's more that God wants to speak to us as a church community about being a church. And so we're coming back into this series called Stop Going to Church. And I believe God wants to give us some greater insight on what it means to be a church. So let's open our hearts to what God would speak to us today and in the coming weeks, because I believe God has some new things for us as a church community. Would you join me in prayer, Lord? Thank you so much for all that you're doing already here this morning. Lord, you are setting people free. Lord, you are infusing people with hope and life. And now as we go to your word, Lord, I just pray that you would speak to us. Lord, we open our hearts, we open our ears to hear what your spirit would speak to us here Today, Lord, I just pray for a spirit of unity in this community. Let there be unity here among us, Lord. Help us to continue to grow closer to you, to grow in maturity, becoming more and more like you, Lord. I pray that we would be the church that you want us, that you have called us to be. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. So let me start off by asking this question. What comes to your mind when you think of church? What's the mental picture or the mental image that comes to your mind? And the first thing that comes to your mind, that's very important. Very important. Because that's how you view church. So what was it? Was it a, a, a gathering like this? This is church. This is us. You know, we're worshiping God. We're experiencing his presence. We're listening to teaching. Or did an image of the building show up or a building? Was it property? Uh, was it getting together with some friends and having a Bible study? Like, what's the image that came to your mind in regards to church? I hope we don't. I hope we don't view church like we view going out to ice cream with the family. Now, going out to ice cream is kind of fun, right? Anybody with me? Like, it's fun to go. Two ice cream with the family. Any Froyo fans out there? Okay, get some Froyo. You got to try all those samples. You just load up on samples. I don't need much more because I've had so much Froyo already. I just need a little bit so I have. I can save money. Just get a little bit of Froyo at the end in my cup that I actually pay for. Anybody do that? Yeah. Okay, so it's fun. Fun to go out to ice cream with the family. It's just a, a, a super cool thing to do. But I hope we don't view going to church like that. Like, this is something I do with my family. It's fun. It feels good. I go for me and help me feel good. I'm kind of entertained. And then I go home, but it doesn't really impact my life. Like, I, go on, I like going out for ice cream, but it doesn't change my life. And I like going to church, but I hope, I hope that because we are connected to church and we come to a gathering like this, I pray and I hope that it impacts our life so much so that it changes how we live today and throughout the week. You see, I think the church was never meant to be just a meeting. It was meant to be a movement. 
And it's important that we have the right mindset and even the right biblical framework of what does it mean to be a church. That's why we're calling the series Stop Going to Church because we don't want to just be a bunch of people that go to church and then we just kind of go and live life and go on our merry way and it doesn't really affect how we live. We want to be the church. Being the church is way different than going to church. So the church is God's people filled with his spirit on the move, living on that mission with Jesus. We're God's people living out God's purposes in God's power. I think that's what the, what the church is. Now, it's not a meeting, but the meeting's important. How many of you thankful you showed up for the meeting already today, right? God has done some good things. There's breakthrough happening. This, this can be encouragement, but this is not everything in regards to church. We need these moments. We need to come and, and be encouraged. Sometimes we need to be challenged. Sometimes we, the Spirit will speak things to us like you need to stop. You need to change directions. Like we need those moments, don't we? But we don't go to church just so we can feel good. We don't go to church. Like Here's what's interesting. Within the Western culture, we love to choose church based upon if we like it or not. And so we'll show up to the gathering, and if I like it, if I agree with things, if I had fun if I enjoyed it, if my kids enjoyed it, then maybe I'll connect to this church. We kind of relegate it to what we enjoy or don't enjoy. And I'm not sure if that's a biblical way of thinking about how we're supposed to approach church. And I think that Christians around the world look at us in the Western culture and they think, you guys are all all crazy. And there's things that we're learning from what God is doing around the world about how to be the church in today's culture. So the church is meant to be a movement, not a meeting. And I believe that God wants to move in new ways, in fresh ways. Some of us, we've seen God do great things in the past. We've seen mighty moves of God in his spirit. But what if it looked differently in the coming days? Would you be okay with that? What if it felt differently? What if it was uncomfortable? And at first you're like, I don't know if I like this. Are you willing to embrace the new that God has for you, for us? And Jesus said something very interesting about the church. Matthew chapter 16, if you want to go there. Matthew chapter 16. Love this story, this passage of scripture here. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So Jesus asks his disciples very important questions. What are people saying about me? Who do they think that I am? And so they answer that, you know, one of the old prophets from the Old Testament times, you you, you come back to life, whatever. And so they're given the answer, like, people are saying this about you. And so then Jesus turns the question on them and asks them to own this question themselves. And he says, what about you? He asks, who do you say that I am? And I love that Jesus does that. Because there has to come a point in our life where we have to answer that question for ourselves. See, it doesn't matter what I say about Jesus. What really matters is what do you say about Jesus? Who do you think that he is? And Jesus has changed my life, guys. I stand up here a a different person because of what Jesus has done in my life. He's given me a new heart. 
He has changed the trajectory of my life. He has brought so much healing and freedom into my life, so much joy. I don't know where I'd be without Jesus. It would be a bad, a bad place. But what about you? Who is Jesus to you? What has he done? See, it's important that we don't just listen to what other people say about Jesus. We have to own this for ourselves. Who do you believe Jesus is? Is he who he said he was? Is he God? Is he the king, the Lord of your life? This is what Jesus is trying to get his disciples to do. He wants them to own it for themselves. You see, it doesn't matter what your mama says about Jesus or what grandma says about Jesus. It matters what you say about Jesus. And maybe today's a day for you to come to that point where you say, I realize Jesus is real. I can't ignore him anymore. And if that's you, let me just encourage you to commit your life to him. To say yes to Jesus today. Make today, August 21st, the day that your life radically changes forever. As you make the greatest decision ever in your life and make Jesus the Lord, the king of your life. If you make that decision today and you're, and you're ready to make that decision today, let us know because we want to help you in that. Again, it is the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. It's the most important decision. So Jesus is really pointing them to it. Right? You've got to own this. Okay, other people are saying this about me, but what about you guys? And this is the first time we see Peter publicly declare who Jesus is. And so Peter says this. He says, says, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And so what Jesus is saying is, you have had a revelation of who I am. And it wasn't just because someone else told you about it. This is a revelation from God himself. And that's what happens when you and I realize that Jesus is real. It's a revelation from him, from his spirit. Like, i got to live for Jesus. He is real. I've heard about him. I've heard other people talk about him. didn't always make sense. But then there's that moment of revelation from God that you cannot ignore. You are now receiving firsthand Jesus is what we like to call it, not secondhand Jesus. Secondhand Jesus is, can be good because that's where it starts, but you and I cannot live off of secondhand Jesus. We need firsthand Jesus. We need firsthand revelation continually of who he is and what he wants to do in our life. So Peter publicly declares this, and, and Jesus says, God has revealed this to you, not man. And then Jesus goes on to say this. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. You know this is the first time Jesus mentions church right here. First time. And what does he say about church? He says, I will build my church. So whose church is this? It's his. It's not yours. It's not mine. It's his church. So he says, I will build who? The church, but that's, who's the church? It's you and me, right? So he's like, I will build you. He, it's, it's amazing how God will build us individually, but then he also builds us collectively. He, we have to experience both. And so he will build you and he will build us at the same time. And as he does this, Jesus goes on to say this. He says, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. The first time Jesus mentions the church, he describes it as a spiritual entity on the move. This is what comes to mind when Jesus pictures the church. 
He's like, it's my people on the move, and it's so expansive in nature that it will take out the gates of hell. Jesus describes the church as a group of people following him on mission, and they're on the offense, not on the defense. So much so that spiritual walls and gates of hell are falling because he is building his church. Is that what you picture of the church? Because that's how Jesus pictures the church. It is a powerful, supernatural force that, G- that Jesus uses as he infuses us with his, empower- with his power, and we are on the move taking down gates of hell. Hmm. That's a pretty profound picture. The church is expansive supernaturally. It's not a building. It's not a property. It's you and I. But it's not you and I just sitting around singing kumbaya. It's you and I, empowered by the Spirit, living on mission with Jesus. Taking this message everywhere we go so that it expands. You know that even now as you and I sit in this room, our friends online listening or hanging out, wherever they're at, Right now, the church is expanding all across the globe. The question is, are you and I going to be part of that? So when Jesus views the church, he he doesn't view a Sunday morning gathering where we sing songs, hang out, have fun, listen to good messages, and go home. He views it as like an army of people on the move, taking down, storming the gates of hell. That is the church. I pray that we would begin to picture the church the way Jesus pictures the church. That's the first thing he says about church right there. First time he mentions it. So what is the church? We see a good description right there, but we got to remember it's not about a place. It's about people. You and I, we are the church. It's you and me. It's you and I as we live life and we go into our neighborhoods. The church is there now. As you go to your workplace today or tomorrow and throughout this week, as you're working, you are being the church. You are taking the church right there. And who knows how God can use you this this week to storm the gates of hell. As you share your faith, as you pray for people, you are storming the gates of hell everywhere you go because you are the church. And it's important that we, we think of ourselves this way. It's important we think about this mission that Jesus has given us this way. It is very spiritual in nature, and too often we forget that. We just get caught up in naturally, like, I got to go to work, I got to make money, I go home, I drive into my house, I close the garage door, I don't connect with neighbors, I just kind of do my thing. We're just kind of living life, like, naturally in the physical, but we forget about There's something spiritual going on in the world, and God wants us to engage in that spiritual warfare, and he wants us to be the church that storms the gates of hell. So I think we got to be a little bit more spiritual at times and not forget what's really going on and not forget what's really at stake here. I think the church is people on mission with Jesus, if I could simplify it. There's some important things about church. Like worship is very important about the church. Community is very important about the church. And oftentimes within our culture, those are the two things we look for. Like I want to find a good place where I can, I can grow and be in a worshiper of Jesus. Worship is, is not just a gathering, right? It's a, it's a lifestyle. 
to want to do that. But, but we think about the gathering. We think about community. I want to be in a church where I, I can get along with people, and I like them, and they like me, and we got good community, and we're worshiping God. But we can't forget this third very important component of church. Yes, we need worship. Yes, we need community, but we also need mission. We've got to be on mission because it's the mission that compels us to go out and storm the gates of hell. I think we know all three of these. This is why we have taken time to define what does it mean to be a Christian here at Rivers Church. This is how we would define a Christian. Somebody who is committed to following Jesus, we're being changed by Jesus, we're led by the Spirit of Jesus, and we're living on the mission of Jesus. See, we don't want to just be growing personally in our relationship with Jesus. That's good. We need to, that needs to happen, right? We want to be filled and led by the Spirit everywhere we go, and we want to make sure we are living on this mission that He has given us. We've got to think holistically about who He's called us to be as the church. And if we neglect the mission, we only focus on worship and community, then we're just a social club. And all the while we do all of that, thousands of people drive by this property and they look like, oh, that's, I don't belong there. I don't connect with those people. I don't get those people. That's, just, that's, not, that's for them, but not me. And so what are we going to do about that? And so that's why we got to make sure that we are also involved in mission, every single one of us. So we want to be the church. Today's kind of intro to set up where we're going for the next couple of weeks. By the way, in two weeks, we're going to do another bilingual service with our Spanish church on, what is that, Labor Day weekend and two weekends, so it's going to be a fun, fun Sunday. But we're going we're gonna to camp out on this theme for a little while because I think Jesus has some things to speak to us on being a church. So we're going to stop just going to church, right? We want to be the church, right? Amen? And I think Jesus has given the church everything it needs to fulfill and accomplish the mission. We have everything, friends. That's why Peter said this. He says, his divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness. You have everything you need. This is, the, this is the greatest thing about Christianity that sets it apart from any other world religion. And that is that when you and I put our trust in Jesus, we say yes to him. We make him the king, the Lord of our life. His spirit comes and lives inside of us. God literally sets up resident inside of us. And so Peter reflecting on that saying this. Hey, his divine power has given you everything you need for your life and for godliness. You and I, the church, have everything we need because the Spirit of God lives inside of us. So we're going to look at Ephesians 4. This is one of the, I'd say, two main passages about what it means to be the church and operate as the church. And in the coming weeks, we're going to look at Acts chapter 2. Today, we're going to look at Ephesians 4. And what we're looking at over the next few moments here, this is a little bit of a review from the first season of Stop Going to Church, but most of us have probably already forgotten everything about that anyway, so that's just a little review, but a little review always helps a lot, is what I've learned. Okay, let's be real. I've forgotten some things too, so okay, this is for me too. So Ephesians 4, verse 1, listen to this. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You have a calling. Did you know that? God has called you. You got a calling on your life. You got purpose. God has plans. He's got a future for you. Be completely humble and gentle. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, That's for you. That's for you. Come on, tell them that's for you. 
humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I love these words because Paul, as he's writing to his church friends in Ephesus, is really setting up where he's going. He's like, okay, what I'm about to say is very, very important for you as a church and how you're going to operate as a church. But first, let me just say this. Can you all make sure you get along? (laughs) Operate in humility and patience. You realize that humility releases the power of God in your life? Pride resists. It stops the power of God in your life. Humility releases the power of God in your life. It's so important that you and I walk in and operate in humility. So then he goes on and says this, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called uh, to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And he goes on, he talks about Jesus ascended, which means he first descended, then he ascended, and as he ascended, he gave us these gifts. Um, Actually, let me first read verse 7. I got ahead of myself. Verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. To each one of us, grace has been given. Every single one of us has grace and has gifts and has a calling on our life. Each and every one of us. And then he talks about the ascension, descension, and then then here's the gifts. Verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. So this is what we call the fivefold ministry. And I have a growing conviction that we must see these five ministry gifts or callings in operation in the church if the church is going to be the movement that Jesus describes it to be. So this is a fivefold ministry. Here's what they are, just just briefly, just for review. Apostles, gifted to pioneer churches, ministries, and leaders that are founded in Christ. Prophets, gifted to bring spirit-prompted words of encouragement, challenge, discipline, and warning. Evangelists, gifted to bring people to a relationship with Jesus. Pastors are gifted to care for the spiritual needs of a local church. And teachers are gifted to clarify, explain, and communicate God's word in order to build up the body of Christ. So those are the five, five-fold ministry right there. And these are popularly called now APEST. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. Because shepherd and pastor are the same thing, right? So APEST. And what I want to do with all of us over the next couple of weeks is I want to help you identify which one of these gifts or callings do you predominantly have so that we can equip you and you can equip us and we can release you to be who God has called you to be. And as we do this together, we can continue to discover where God is leading us as a congregation be the movement that Jesus longs for us to be. But I like that term, shepherd, instead of pastor, mainly because of how we use the term pastor these days. So we just got done installing and announcing Griffin and Autumn, our pastors here at our church, right? So does that mean that this is their calling and their function within the fivefold ministry? Uh, Not necessarily. Pastor nowadays has come to mean church leader. 
That's what it means, right? We just dub them as official church leaders. If we wanted to get biblical, our pastors are elders within our church. That's really what they are. But we've popularized the term pastor. We've even elevated pastor and teacher probably too much. Um, but, but this is what we feel comfortable calling the leaders of the church now, pastors. So we can call them pastors. That's great. I'm Pastor Tyrone. But that doesn't necessarily mean that my primary, primary gifting is pastoring. And so we've got to be careful that we allow our pastors and we allow ourselves. I want to allow you to be who God has called you to be. But when we took the, the term pastor, then we expect, oh, this is somebody who is going to care for me and meet my needs. And if you know me, that is not my dominant. <laughs> like, I love people. I love you. I love you. And I, I love to love people. Why do everyone laughed a lot of that? My goodness. Okay, so maybe it's obvious, okay? But sometimes things are very obvious. But it's important that we just release each other to be who God has called us to be and not put people in boxes and expect them to do this or be this. We got to let them live out the calling that Jesus has given them. It's so important. But we need all five of these gifts in the church in operation if the church is going to be the church that Jesus longs for us to be. All right? So, you know what's interesting about the, the word pastor, the term or the title pastor? Do you know how many times it's mentioned in the New Testament? We just read it. <laughs> Once. How crazy is that? All the other gifts are mentioned multiple times. Apostle, prophet, the ones we shy away from, many, many, many more times than the others. Isn't that fascinating? So how they operated in the New Testament, it just kind of looks and feels a little differently than maybe how we've kind of fallen into being in the church today. And so that's why we've got to go to Scripture and say, let's embrace what appears to be a very important thing in regards to being the church. Like, I believe that Ephesians, and especially Ephesians 4, is Paul's best work on what it means to be the church. And so we get right there to the middle, to the, to the climax, and he's like, these five gifts... Jesus has given the church. And so we got to make sure that we function in these gifts. We want to see all these gifts in operation in our church. And I love what Mike Breen says, because he says sometimes we can fall into a trap of like, okay, well, that's not my gifting. I don't do that. I'm not gifted to pastor, so I'm not going to care for people. <laughs> so like, okay. So this is what he says. He says, not everyone is a teacher, but everyone is called to share what they know from scriptures. Not everyone is a shepherd, but we're all called to care. Not everyone is an evangelist, but we are all called to share the good news. Not everyone is a prophet, but we're all called to listen to God. Not everyone is an apostle, but everyone is called to live a sent life. Church movement leader, author, all around smart dude, Mike Breen. I love that because this reminds us that like, we will operate in all five of these gifts. But there's one, and maybe a secondary one, that you and I will primarily function in. And when we do, we will love it. We're full of joy, and we'll see lots of fruit from that. Because that's a gifty, that's a calling that we have from Jesus. And when we do that, and when we let other people 
live in those gifts or those callings that Jesus has given them. This is what happens as a result. I love the description that Paul goes into here. Verse 12, right after he does the fivefold ministry gifts list there. Verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service. We're all called to serve. All of us. And we can prepare each other for that. Prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Here's what happens as these gifts are in operation. When we embrace the fivefold ministry gifts, it builds three things. You see Paul writing here. Number one, it builds unity. As we are allowing other people to function in their gifts, they're different. They, they think differently. Their, their, their passion within the church is different than your passion. And that's good as we allow them to be themselves and, and we be who God has gifted us to be and we work together. That's what creates unity. So this builds unity within the church. Embraced diversity builds unity. You realize that true unity cannot happen without diversity. And a lot of people, we, we all can find ourselves going here, a lot of us, I want to go to a place where uh, everyone agrees with me, they look like me, they have the same values as me, they vote the same as me, we, we're, we're all going like, that's not unity, that's conformity. And Jesus doesn't want, isn't called the church to just conform and all look the same. You don't have to look like me or act like me. And some of you are saying, thank God. But vice versa, right? It is only within embrace of diversity that unity can actually take place. God has called us to unity, not conformity. Number two, the, the, the second thing that it builds is maturity. We all could use a little help there. Immaturity just causes us to just live a selfish life and make it all about me. Immaturity wants other people to bend to me, to meet me where I'm at, to serve me. That's immaturity, right? But it's in working together with other people who are different, who think differently, who I like, oh, I, don't, I don't even like that or understand that. But as I learn to do that, I can grow in maturity. It cannot happen. I, maturity cannot happen unless I work with other people who are different from me. When we see this in marriage, right? That's marriage. Like marriage, you want to have a good marriage. You're working for unity. You're, you're, you're building unity. And you realize we are completely different. Like what's that old book? You know, men are from from Neptune and, and women are from Pluto or something like that, right? Like, we're different. We're completely different. We're trying to, like, uh, unify and agree. Like, you don't even communicate the same way that I do. Can you make sense, please? We're trying to work through all of this. And as we try to grow in unity, and, and as we do, as we build unity within the marriage, maturity happens. It's pretty amazing how that, how that takes place, right? And it even happens when you don't agree with everything in regards to your spouse. You don't have to agree to have unity and maturity. Amy and I don't agree on everything. You don't agree on everything if you're married, right? Okay, and so those things that, that, that we don't agree on, I gotta help her out because she doesn't know what the truth is. 
And so that requires patience and humility on my part to help her grow in understanding and maturity, right? Or maybe it's vice versa. Maybe it's the other way around. Come on, isn't this why God created women? Like he looked at man and said, that dude's going to be perpetually immature for the rest of his life. I need to give him a woman to help him grow in maturity. And that's, and women help us grow in maturity, right? Okay. So here's the point. Embrace diversity not only builds unity, but it builds maturity. This is what Jesus wants to see in his church. Unity and maturity. As we all are different and diverse. Coming from different backgrounds, different socioeconomic backgrounds, but also, especially here in this Ephesians 4 passage, having different gifts and callings in our life. And the only way this can be lived out, guys, is through humility. That's why Paul started out with that whole humility thing. Unity and maturity cannot happen without humility. Impossible. We've got to use our gifts and live life with one another in humility. And so then the third thing that's built is this, the fullness of Christ. You know that Jesus is represented, like he, he is all five of these gifts. This is who Jesus is. And so as all five of these gifts are in operation in the church, we are seeing the fullness of Christ in action in our church. And we don't want to misrepresent Jesus to the world. We don't want to just elevate just the pastor and teacher gifts and say, we're just going to focus on that and do that, you know. And then all we do is then just kind of hang out with each other and we focus on rules and regulations and guidelines. And we miss out on the other three very important, like all five are important, guys. All five are important. The fullness of Christ. I pray that you and I would experience and see the fullness of Christ in our lives and in this church. So here's a couple questions for you as we close. Ask yourself this. Am I building unity within the church right now? And am I helping to build maturity within the church right now? The only way that can happen, I think, is it starts with us individually. It's got to start here within. And then it's got to translate into outward with other people. Am I really building unity within the church? And am I building maturity within the church? Can I just say we need you? We need your gifts. We need you in the church. You are so important. Like Jesus didn't just die on the cross so that you could have forgiveness and freedom in this life and for all of eternity with him. Like we praise Jesus for that. But he also, he died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and he gave you and I gifts in the meantime to function. We need you to use your gifts. So, here's how we're ending today. I got homework for you. That I want to challenge all of us to do this week. I think this will be important for us as we continue to go on this journey. What does it mean for us to be a church community together? And to be on mission together? And so I got five things for you. Okay, so if you haven't been writing down anything, write these five things down. Okay, so I got five things for that I'm going to challenge you, I want to ask you to do. Number one is this. I want you to go to our digital program and I want you to take the APEST test. So there is a link in the digital program to an APEST test that you can take this week. We're not going to do it right now. We're not going to do it in the middle of service. I tried that a few months ago. It took us forever and we're just going to 
Just do it at home, okay? It was fun to try. They gave us a jump start. But, okay, so you're all going to be graded on this homework next week, just so you know. Just kidding. But I want, I want to equip you and challenge you as your pastor to grow. It's my role. And so as we continue to process what does it mean to be a church, we're all going to work on some things here. Take the APES test so that you know what your fivefold ministry gifting is. And then we want to hear from you. Let us know, like email us back. This is what my gifting is because we want to collect all of this. This is so good for you to know, but it's good for all of us to know because we want to find out who are the evangelists in our church. And we want to release you to be who God has called you to be. Number two, sign up for Freedom Conference. We wholeheartedly believe in this, guys. Like we're a church that doesn't, we don't completely fill up the calendar, but there are some things that we would look at you and say, be here this weekend. Rearrange your schedule. Plan ahead now. It's a month away. Be at Freedom Conference. I promise you, you won't regret it. It is, when we did it a couple years ago for the first time, the takeaway was this. That's the greatest thing we've ever done as a church. Why didn't we do it before? And we want everyone to experience it multiple times. Come again to Freedom Conference. Number two, number three, get in a group. Okay, so Pastor Amy talked about all the groups. There's a card in the, in the seats there. There's groups here, okay? So we got some good groups that are going now and coming up. Get in a group, okay? This is you and I getting into communities. We can grow. Uh, number four is find a place to serve. So find a place. Some of you are serving somewhere, but some of you aren't. Find a place to use, use your gifts. And number five, this is, this is an interesting one. I came across a book that I've heard about for about a year, year and a half. I finally started reading it, and it's rocking my world. I want to encourage every single one in our church to read or listen to Miraculous Movements. The tagline is how hundreds of thousands of Muslims are falling in love with Jesus. You want to hear about how the church is on the move in Muslim countries? This book is awesome. But there's a lot that we can learn about how the movement that's happened in that church can take place here as well in our city. So, Miraculous Movements. It's on Audible. You can buy it anywhere books are sold. It's uh, also in, what's the, uh, that Hoopla. If you, some of you have Hoopla, which get a library card, which is free, and then download Hoopla, which is free, and you can check this out for free as an ebook or an audible book for free. And just listen to it. I would love for everybody in our church to go through this book in the next few weeks. Easy book to go through. Phenomenal stories. It's just fun to hear about how Jesus is on the move, guys in countries where it's illegal to be a Christian. The church is growing more in countries where it's illegal to be a Christian than it's growing in our country. It's time for us to learn from them. So everyone, let's go through this. Let's read it. Let's listen to it. Why don't you stand to your feet? Thanks again for listening to this message at Rivers Church. 
We'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. To learn more about what's going on in the life of our church community, check us out at riverschurch.co. I pray that this week you would walk in the power and the presence of God. Thanks for joining us.